Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. At this time, I'd like to welcome up Pastor RJ. morning, church. How is everyone doing today? It's good to see all your smiling faces. So a couple, a couple housekeeping items to start today. I love doing housekeeping. How many know I love you? <laughs> I believe in you. You got this. So uh, number one, In case you haven't noticed, I'm not a big fan of announcements during the services. Like, we do little announcements in the transition, but I've moved most of them before the service or to the newsletter or to the website. And uh, as a rule, we want you to get information through other methods rather than have to stand up here and kind of make announcements all the time. So when we do make an announcement, it's a highlight, not an not a everyday thing. Uh, that said... Um, all things WCF. So some of you might be newer here in the church and you've never taken like our Connect class or <laughs> gone through our School of Vision. And so essentially what we've done over the last two years is haven't had very much classroom education, that kind of thing. So starting on March 20th, we have a class called All Things WCF. So if you're a little bit newer and you you want to get a little bit better connected to the church, find out a little bit more about how we operate and how we're set up and meet some of the key faces in there, uh, please make sure that you sign up to take the class. Operative word, sign up, so we know how many people are coming. And then um, connected to that, so, so for those of you that are a little newer, it's a good way to get connected, find out how to get connected, how to get involved, how to get engaged and meet some people. And then with that is our D2LO, which is Design to Lead Orientation. So we'll be launching that on March 20th as well. Now, all things WCF will run three to four times a year, probably three times this year and then four times next year. So about every three months or so, we'll do one of these introductory classes for everybody. And then we'll talk more about the Design to Lead um, Orientation another time. Also, Men's Encounter, there's a few spaces left. Women's Encounter is full, so please don't show up at the door because we're not going to let you in. Because it's full. That's why we register in advance. And I want to take a minute and talk about this sign-up culture. I told you I love you. And we're all adults, right? We're all grown people. And, and what we need people to start doing is this last minute I'm going to show up at the door stuff. It makes it really hard for people that are trying to cook food for you or prepare food or for the people that are trying to set up the classrooms so we know how many people to set up for. And uh, so we've just kind of made a decision, mostly me. Okay, mostly me, but that's okay. Uh, I don't want people just showing up at the door for classes, or I don't want people just showing up at the door for encounters. So men, if you're planning to go, please sign up today, tomorrow at the latest. But if you come on Saturday and we're not expecting you, we're going to say, sorry, you can't come in. Okay? 
and I'm saying it out loud, but see, we are people who pray and listen, and then we make decisions. We don't have to procrastinate and put it off to the last minute. I forgot is not a good enough reason. That's okay. There'll be another one in three months. You can go to that one. Oh, come on. How many of you have gone to post-secondary education? When you went there, did you just show up at the door and say, I think I want to attend school today, or did you apply in advance? And then you got accepted. We'll accept you if you apply in advance. (laughs) Do you understand how this works? We'd like people to start signing up. So if you want to take a class, we want you there, but we want you to sign up so we know you're coming then we can better prepare for it. If you want to go on an encounter, no problem. We'd love to have you there. We want you on the encounter with us. But we want you to let us know that you're coming more than five minutes before the encounter starts. How many say that's a fair arrangement? Thank you for your cooperation. (laughs) All right. And I want to talk today, continuing our Weapons of the Warfare series on an eye for an eye. Now, foundationally, I want you to understand something. When we're talking about an eye for an eye, um, I speak English primarily. Uh, My kids speak French, I don't. Uh, Pastor Larry speaks Spanish, I don't speak Spanish. I know a little bit of Tagalog. If you're Filipino, I can kind of converse with you. I've studied a little bit of biblical Hebrew and a little bit of Greek. I still butcher the language, but I I, I know a little bit about it. But my Latin is hugely deficient. And there's a couple Latin phrases I'm going to attempt today, so when I butcher them, please forgive me in advance, especially legal students that understand this stuff like nothing. I'm going to start with this Latin term, lex talionis, or the law of retaliation. Foundationally, as we're looking at an eye for an eye, there's this law of retaliation. And most of the legal systems around the world are based on this concept where the punishment must fit the crime. We doing okay so far? Lex talionis. Now, Adam Clark, he wrote a commentary, and he explains this a little bit more. And it looks like this um, lex talionis has been around for a long time, like maybe even before the Mosaic Law. Uh, you know, and, and the Greeks and the Romans adopted it. And at one point in history, they started doing this thing where you could pay a fine instead of having the same punishment done to you. Okay? And, and our legal system kind of went to that now where sometimes they fine people when they do things against others instead of do the same thing to them. But what I want to get to is, it's important that you understand that it was always at the discretion of the praetor or the judge. Okay, so I'm going to use some terms, magistrate, praetor, it all, it's the judge, the government representative. Are we doing okay? Is anyone lost? Sorry, I'm not trying to lose you. I just want to give you foundation for this. And in most countries around the world, um, they also had this thing that we've gotten away from in recent times, but it's, it's called the calumniator or the accuser. And then in Latin it says, the calumniator sine accusation deficerit talionem recipient. 
Essentially, the proof of accusation falls on the accuser, and if they fail in their proof, let them suffer the same punishment that they wish upon the one that they're accusing. Well, wait, what? See, we've gotten away from this, but I like that idea because then when people try to falsely accuse you and they can't without proof, the punishment that they're seeking for you should fall on them for their false accusation without proof. Boy, that would free up our legal system. (laughs) But notwithstanding, nothing on either side of this conversation whether the punishment fits the crime or the accuser has, nothing is left up to the individual to make the decision. It's always left with the praetor, the judge, the magistrate. Okay, always it's up to them to judge the situation. Are we doing okay on this? And this is, this is my point. So otherwise, private revenge and tick for tack you did this to me, so I'm going to do this to you, so I'm going to do this to you, so I'm going to do this. It would just, it would totally take out our society. I mean, how many of you were, when you were little, he hit me, so I hit him back? How many of you are older and you still operate that way? I want to know. As we mature, what do we do? We move beyond some of those things that we did when we were young, right? Are we doing okay? So what happens is it's not always tick for tack. We don't want to operate in hatred or revenge. So it's always left to the judge to make the decision. Now, this is the foundation for Matthew 5, where Jesus starts talking about, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye. Now, he was addressing a corrupt system. Because at that time, the Pharisees did not rule with justice. I mean, there was one account where they were talking about a Pharisee would walk into town and say, hey, who wants to be my wife for today? And then tomorrow I'm going to divorce her and go and say, who wants to be my wife for today? So later when Jesus is saying, I didn't give you divorce so that you could flip around. I gave you divorce because the... Do you see what I'm saying? So what happens is when he's talking about an eye for an eye, in Exodus 21, 24, Leviticus 24, 20, it was always justice was the concept that we're looking at here where fair punishment for the crime. You cut off someone's hand, they cut off your hand. You take out their eye, they take out your eye. That was kind of the idea behind it, but the Pharisees were using it and it was escalating into personal revenge and personal vendettas. So the punishment returned was greater than the pain inflicted. We doing okay? That's right. (laughs) So at one point, um, the Greeks had this thing where if a one-eyed man got his eye put out by someone else, they would inflict the same punishment and take out both eyes of the man who did it so that the consequence would be the same. Now... The Jews were really taking this to excess and they were trying to settle these, um, I'm going to call them personal resentments or private resentments, but they were really doing it with a vindictive spirit. They weren't doing it um, with mercy and justice in mind. They were doing it because 
revenge must be carried out to the utmost extremity. <laughs> and more evil is being returned than that which was given. And, and that's not a healthy thing. So Jesus is trying to bring balance to this because he is law. He is truth. And he's saying, look, Old Testament, New Testament doesn't matter. I'm a God of justice and God is very interested in the punishment fitting the crime. Personal revenge and vendettas are not allowed. We, as individuals, must trust God and the magistrate to vindicate us. Now listen to me carefully. When the system fails us, and it is, we pray and ask God to deal with the injustice in the land. I'm sad, and just like many others, about some of the things that are happening in Canada right now. But the way you stand up is you fall to your knees and you pray. This is, this is what we have to come to the place where we do this, right? Now, I want you to understand, forgiveness and mercy are weapons. Actually, um, I've heard it said that the best defense is a good offense. You ever heard that? Here's what that means. If you're going to go to war with someone, has anyone ever gone to war? When you go to war, okay, if you could find a way to go take away the weapons that the enemy has so that they can't use them against you, how many say that's a really effective strategy? Because think about it, and I'm horrible at this. You're going to see my lack of training, okay? You could take 10,000 Bruce Lees. And a hundred guys with machine guns, who do you think is going to win? I'm going to vote on the hundred guys with the machine guns. Bullets work way better than these things do. But if you take away the machine guns and you leave a hundred Marines against 10,000 Bruce Lees, I'm thinking that the hundred Marines are going to get hurt. So if you're going to go to war against an enemy and you can take away his weapons that he's going to use against you, how many say that's a great strategy for success? When we choose to forgive, choice is yours, you destroy Satan's ability to wage war against you through anger, bitterness, isolation, hostility, and revenge. You're taking away his weapon that he uses against you. Now, Jesus expects us to follow his example when he talks about forgiveness. He wants us to have the same attitude, the same mindset towards people who hurt us as he had towards those who hurt him. What was Jesus' prayer for the people that were crucifying him? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, if Jesus had been like us, maybe that would have ended differently. Or how about in the movies, you know? The hero takes himself off the cross, grabs the shield, smashes the guy in the head, and then kills the other 26 guys that are trying to crucify him. Fantasy. Real life doesn't work like that. That's just in the movies. However, aren't you glad Jesus was willing to go through that sacrifice for us? Because if he wouldn't, we'd be in a lot of trouble today. Okay. James 2.13, most of my scriptures are amplified primarily because when I was copying and pasting the scriptures in, um, I forgot to trans translation back to New Living. <laughs> For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. 
But to the one who has shown mercy, mercy triumphs victoriously over judgment, or mercy triumphs over judgment. We dare not to violate the law of liberty in our hearts by withholding mercy from others. What do you mean? How many of you have been shown great mercy by the Father? I certainly have. Without his mercy, I'd be in trouble. But because he's shown me great mercy, there's an expectation that I show great mercy to others. Just like there's an expectation that you show great mercy to others. He wants us to deal with others the same way that he deals with us. And Jesus is talking in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 35. He starts with Peter comes to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, Peter is thinking, man, if someone sins against me seven times in a day and I can forgive them seven times, I am the guy. I mean, how many of you, someone has committed the same offense against you seven times in the same day and you chose to forgive all seven times? And then Jesus, Jesus blows Peter out of the water. Peter, not seven times, but 70 times, seven, 490 times. Okay, I, I use these shallow illustrations sometimes to illustrate things, but you know, I talk about my driving. So, so right over there, there's a dotted line when you turn left out of the church, if you want to turn left and get onto the 401. But then it turns into a solid line. All you drivers tell me, what does the solid line mean? Don't change lanes. I, I was talking to my wife the other day on the phone on the way home because I have that hands-free thing. I love talking to my car. Siri, call most beautiful girl in the world. Calling most beautiful girl in the world. When the kids were young, they used to be like, how does it know to call mom, dad? <laughs> now they're older. They figured it out. They're on to me. But I'm amazed at how many people don't understand that white line means don't come across without signaling. Because clearly you couldn't see me in your blind spot. Um, so it's okay. I can walk in forgiveness. It took me halfway home, but I got over it. <laughs> and the truth is, I wish them well. Maybe they just weren't paying attention. I don't know. Maybe if they cleaned their back windshield, they could see a little bit better from the ice. I don't know. But regardless, I use those as silly illustrations, but... How many times in life do people actually hurt you? They say things to you. Their, their words cut. Their actions create pain, suffering, hardship. We, 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 we go through these experiences that are horrible. But see, I think Jesus was actually addressing something a little bit even deeper because it's not just when someone does something to you that you have to forgive, it's when your mind replays it about 15 minutes later, you have to forgive again. And when your mind replays it another 20 minutes later, you have to forgive it again. And when your mind replays it again and again, and you have to let it go, and you have to let it go, and you have to let it go, and you have to let it go. And when it comes to that, I can see how 490 times would become reality for some people because we just rehearse it and rehearse it and we get more angry and we get more angry and we get more angry. But none of you ever do this. Because we're all saints. Christians, we're at church, it's Sunday morning, we've got our happy faces on. 
we have a camera on the roadway. I used to laugh if I ever had to monitor it because people on the way in. Hi, Pastor House, going. Hallelujah, God bless you. Then they get back in the car and they're driving out. Watching you. I love it. It gets better. Then Jesus goes into this illustration. There's a kingdom of heaven is like a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves or servants. When he began accounting, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. I mean, I don't know, what's 10,000 talents? A couple billion dollars, 10 million dollars, 10, 10 billion dollars? How many of you have 10 billion dollars you're sitting on? How many, someone owes you 10 billion dollars? How many wish you had someone that owed you $10 billion? But because he couldn't repay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and everything he possessed and payment to be made. The slave fell on his knees and begged him, saying, have patience with me, I will repay you everything. Yeah, what, in 25 lifetimes? The master's heart was moved with compassion and he released him and forgave him, canceling the debt. But the same slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him 100 denarii, or 200 bucks. Has anyone ever owed you $200? Now, I'll be real. Is it worth wrapping your fingers around their neck over $200? Because it says, listen to what it says. It says, he seized him and began choking him. Now, I've wanted to choke people, but not for 200 bucks. I didn't say I did choke people. I just thought I've wanted to. That's when your flesh and your spirit have a war and your mind says, this is a good idea. And your spirit says, no, it's not. And your body says, let me at him. Has anyone ever been there? Am I the only one? This week? (laughs) Thank you for your honesty. I understand, right? But see, our flesh is in subject to our spirit. So we do the right thing and we walk away. That's what we should do. Anyway. So his fellow slave fell on his knees, begged him earnestly, have patience with me, I will repay you. I mean, some of you aren't good at math, so let me explain this. $200, you know, you can make $200 in a day, a good day, some of you. $10 billion, you might not make that in your lifetime, or two, or 10. See the difference in the amount of money here? Now, I'm not sure what kind of king would loan one of his slaves that kind of money, but I don't think that's the point. He was unwilling and had him thrown in prison until he paid back the debt, over 200 bucks. When his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were deeply grieved and went on and reported to their master, catch the next word, with clarity and in detail. And boy, let me tell you something. With these things, everything's in clarity and detail except that you don't know what happened before or after. Everything that had taken place in clarity and detail. Then his master called him and said to him, you wicked, contemptible slave, I forgave all that great debt of yours because you begged me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave who owed you little by comparison as I had mercy on you? And in wrath, his master turned him over to the tortures, the jailers, till he paid him all he owed. My heavenly father will do the same to every one of you if each of you does not forgive your brother from your heart. Ouch. Let me ask a question here. How much of your sin did Jesus forgive when he went to the cross? 
how much, I'll ask you guys, how much of your sin did Jesus forgive when you went to the cross? All, all of your sin? Everyone's agreement, right? Jesus went to the cross for all of your sin. Could you have paid off the debt of your sin in a hundred lifetimes? Why? You weren't qualified. Once you make a sin, you're no longer perfect. Once you're imperfect, you're not qualified to be a sacrifice for sin. We doing okay? Okay. You weren't qualified. You can't do it. So Jesus forgave us all of our sin. In Luke 6, 37, do not judge others or you will not be judged. Do not condemn others. It will all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. How many like the fact that Jesus paid for all of your sins when he went to the cross? Do you know that you can invalidate that by refusing to forgive someone else? For their $200 crime against you? Or their $10,000 crime against you? I'm not trying to minimize the fact that the context of forgiveness is hurt. I understand there's hurt, there's pain, there's hardship, there's tears, there's brokenness. We get this. By no means am I insensitive to that. But Jesus commands us to release others. But here is what you got to remember. Matthew 6, 12, 13, 14, 15, the last part of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we have Forgiven those who sin against us. Don't let us yield to temptation. Rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's the words of Jesus. That's a very strong statement. I don't know about you, but I don't want to take my chances and argue with God on interpretation on Jesus' words that if I refuse to forgive others... He's not going to forgive me. That's an argument I don't think you're going to win. This is the truth. If you allow unforgiveness in your life, you are giving Satan a foothold in your life, and he will exploit it at every opportunity. We justify our hurt with statements. What are the statements? Oh, pastor, you don't know what they did to me. You're right. I may not. You don't know what I'm going through. You're right. I may not. You haven't gone through what I'm going through. I may not have. But Jesus was murdered and took all the sins and sickness and disease of humanity, the entire curse of all humans that ever existed on his own body when he hung on the tree unjustly. We do not have a savior who is unfamiliar with what we are going through. People can be mean, people can be cruel. The more you allow unforgiveness to bounce around in your soul, the louder it gets and the more powerful the stronghold becomes in your mind. One author was explaining it like this. He said, the hurt caused you was a month's worth of pain, but because we keep replaying it and replaying it and rehearsing it and rehearsing it, we can stay in bondage for decades. We multiply our own pain by holding on. And I'll say this, you do not forgive for the sake of the one you are forgiving. It is not for their benefit. You forgive to release your own future from Satan's influence in your life. God 
is very concerned about how you handle forgiveness. And you know what? God doesn't just ask you to forgive people who don't know what they're doing. God asks you to forgive the ones who know exactly what they're doing. And some of you have been hugely hurt by people who intentionally did wrong to you. And it was far outside of your control. But you release and you let go, not for your own benefit. I see Nikki sitting over here in the front row, you know. And here's the thing. And, and I'll just pick on you for a minute. There's nothing going on between Nikki and I. We're, <laughs> we're friends. Right? Yeah, yeah, you're back now. But watch. So, so if Nikki offends me and I try to take matters into my own hands, and I want to go to revenge, and I want to get her back, and I want to, and then, so she offends me, so I offend her back, so she offends me back. It's just going to escalate and turn into a mess, and it breaks relationship, and there's all kinds of harm done. And the truth is, I can be angry with her. Now watch. Pretend this is poison. Did everyone hear me say pretend? Okay. I'm so mad at Nikki right now. And I better make sure I get her good. Essentially, why would I drink poison to punish someone else? But this is what we do when we hold unforgiveness in our heart. We put ourselves in prison thinking we're setting the other person in prison. Christ wants us to live free. And the way you live free is you release and you let go. I didn't say it's easy. Nikki and I are good. But the second that I come to the place and say, I forgive you, then I can stand and say, the Lord judge between you and me. Why? Because I'm returning to him the right to judge. I'm returning the right to God to get involved in the situation. As long as you try to handle it in the flesh, God says, hey, have at it. When you're done, let me know. And I don't know about you, but in my few short years, I've discovered something. God can handle things much better than I can. With my limited human wisdom and reasoning, I might be able to handle some things, but not as good as he can. So we have to come to the place where we say, okay, God, you deal with it. You handle the situation. How did Jesus handle this in Luke twenty-two forty-two? Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. He knew he was about to be crucified, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus wanted God's will more than his own. And he's having a conversation with the Father. God, if I don't have to get crucified and executed on a tree, I'm good with that. You can, you can release me. If there's another way, Father, show me. There wasn't, and he knew it. We know hurting people hurt people. The Christians, we're supposed to be distinct from the world, different from the world, and we cannot allow ourselves to hurt others. So you have to determine every day if you're going to be an instrument of pain or an instrument of healing. The parts of your life that are painful will produce death, will produce suffering, will produce pain. But out of that, you can demonstrate love you can demonstrate mercy and you can demonstrate grace. 
What a great testimony of God's goodness and how much he's transformed your life. The enemy will work in uninvited hurt and wrong in your life. These are often the places we harbor the most unforgiveness, which puts you into bondage. There's so many people that walk around in bondage because they have unforgiveness in their life for hurt that they did not invite. They didn't do anything wrong and someone did something wrong to them. When I was at Bible school, I had a friend, his name was Rodney. And, and our, our school was in the middle of a rough neighborhood. Um, we heard gunshots every night to give you an idea how rough it was. To the point that I got to, oh, that's a 45, oh, that's a nine millimeter, oh, that's a shotgun. <laughs> oh, that? I'm not sure what that is, but I don't wanna mess with it. <laughs> and he went for a walk one day and a group of kids walked up and just unprovoked, unannounced, just bam, and took out some of his teeth. Did he ask for that? Not really. He was just walking down the road. It was gang initiation. Cost him some teeth. My friend had to come to the place where he released that and let it go to God, right? But the point that I'm trying to communicate to you is hurt will come to you that you're not looking for. I mean, sometimes, I mean, I can see if you're standing on the corner and 10 guys are walking around, hey, you big buffoons, you know, like, I watched my words. <laughs> if I was picking a fight, I'd probably choose some different ones. But the, the, the point is, when there's 10 guys walking by, do you start mouthing off to them? Not unless you think you're Bruce Lee, and even then, I don't think you're going to do so good. Because it's not like the movies. <laughs> when you release it, forgiveness, it will bring healing to your own heart first, and then allows the Spirit of God to start working on the situation with the offender. Luke twenty-two fifty-two. Jesus spoke to the leading priest, the captains of the temple guard, and the elders who had come to him. Am I some dangerous revolutionary, he asked, that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. Interesting, hey? They arrested Jesus at night when nobody was around. They, it was legally, by the way. Then they took him to some kangaroo court at, the, at the, the high priest's house. But even the Jewish leaders of that day knew he had to go before the magistrate. He had to go before Pilate to get the execution of death signed. They didn't take the law into their own hands or they couldn't without consequence. Did everyone hear me? The magistrate or pilot was the one who had to sign off on that. Now, thank God that particular day, justice was subverted by the mob that was screaming crucify him. Because really, Pilate didn't do his job. He found him innocent and he treated him like he was guilty. I'm going to wash my hands of it. Sorry, Pilate. That's not going to stand up. You knew full well what you were doing. But see, because mob justice ruled, the king died in our place, thank God, because otherwise we'd be in trouble. 
God reversed the injustice, though, didn't he? Because he raised Jesus from the dead. He removed that little thing called death. It's kind of final to humans. You know that, right? This earth suit usually dies once. I mean, with the wonders of modern technology, we can bring people back sometimes. But once you're dead for a while, usually you're dead for a while. Unless God comes in and reverses that little thing called death. But now Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead, is he not? I want to read Psalms 86.5. Oh Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. God will forgive you. He already died. He already made a way. But he wants you to release others. He wants you to forgive others. It's not option A, forgive today, forgive tomorrow, forgive next week. If you want to receive forgiveness, you have to let it go. I didn't write it. I'm just communicating it. If you want to argue, you can argue with God, who died for you, by the way, and has forgiven you of all of your sins but you also have to release others. Now, I understand and realize that that's hard. That's not easy. Because the context of forgiveness is almost always pain. Or at least misunderstanding at the very least. And when you start getting emotions and pain involved, we don't always see things as clearly as we like. You don't. I don't. I wouldn't imagine anyone else does. So what do we do? We have to come to the place where we say, God, I'm going to release it. I'm going to let it go. It doesn't mean that you have to become best friends with the person who mistreated you for years or who abused you. It doesn't mean you even have to go eat with it. It just means I don't want to kill him anymore. It just means I don't want harm. I don't want to do harm to you anymore. It means, God, as Jesus has forgiven me, I'm going to release others for what they did to me. And that is empowering for you. That frees you. That takes you out of prison. That takes you out of bondage. That breaks the strongholds in your mind. Forgiveness is not for the benefit of the one that you're free. It's for your benefit. Stand up with me. You know, when we, when we come to communion or the Lord's Supper, there's this idea that you want to examine your heart. And what do you want to examine? God, is there any unforgiveness in my heart? Is there people I need to release? Is there things I need to let go of? Is there sin I need to confess? So take a moment and take a deep breath. And let the Spirit of God shine light on the dark areas of your heart. And if there's unforgiveness there, release it. Let it go. No one ever said it would be easy. But God is right there with you to give you the strength you need. Because in your weakness is where he shows up strong. When you don't think you can is when you look to him for the strength you need. 
Father, we, your people, as you're looking at our hearts, Lord, we let it go. All the hurt, all the pain, the shame that people have caused us, the embarrassment. People have tried to crush and destroy intentionally sometimes. But Father, with a sane mind, we choose right now to release. We forgive. It's not easy, it's hard. Sometimes it's really hard, but we let it go. And we give it to you. And we ask you, the just God, to get involved in the situation. And Lord, justice doesn't work on our timeline. We have this understanding, it works on yours. So as we have the bread in our hand and Jesus, who was really illegally murdered by humans that he created, he died for us so that we could have healing in our bodies, freedom from sickness and disease. Father, we declare that over our lives. And I thank you that today you're breaking hell's grip over our mind and our emotions in this arena. In the name of Jesus. The blood of the new covenant. Jesus willingly let his blood spill. to seal your forgiveness so that you can be free. Father, I will forever be grateful for the lamb that took my place on the cross. I don't know how I could begin to repay God your goodness in my life in the lives of my friends today. But we choose not to harbor unforgiveness or bitterness or resentment or anger in our hearts. We release those things to you. And in some cases, we ask you for help to release them. We want to, but we don't know how. But Lord, we just choose today to let it go. Even if we're scared to let it go. As I'm praying, I'm kind of listening to the Holy Spirit and he's, there's a couple of you that you don't even know what your identity is gonna be when you let go of the unforgiveness. But you have an identity in Christ. There's two of you daughters. You're daughters of the King and you need to change your identity today. Let it go. Father, we thank you for the blood. May it bring freedom to our mind, will, and emotions now in the name of Jesus. Paul and Michelle will come now. Thank you, Pastor RJ, for that eye-opening message. Before we... Uh, dismiss everyone today we just want to encourage you with the scriptures from scripture reading from the book of Romans starting at in chapter 12 verse 17 never pay back evil 
with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And Pastor RJ, you talked about the most beautiful woman in the world. How did you get my wife's phone number? <laughs> You're dismissed. You